Good afternoon. This is Chicky Fitzgerald. It is 2014, and it's January 10th. And we are so glad to be back with our live weekly calls and with our interviews with uh, incredible authors. And we have with us today Pamela Slim. And Pamela has written uh, an incredible book uh, that helps us find the thread that ties our story together. The name of the book is Body of Work. Pamela, welcome. Thanks so much for having me here. Well, great. And before we started the recording, I had you tell a little bit about yourself personally. And uh, you started jumping into the story of how you uh, became an author and, and what you do as your day job. So why don't I get you to repeat that little portion of it before we jump right into the book? Absolutely. So, yeah, I've been um, I've been working for myself for about 17 years and have always been interested in the, the human side of business. So whether that is helping organizations that grow or go through change and transition, which I did for the first 10 years of my practice consulting inside companies. I uh, started in the San Francisco Bay Area working a lot in Silicon Valley with tech companies and then just ended up doing all kinds of work in, in every company you can imagine. And then toward the latter part of my years consulting, I was noticing a consistent pattern of people who were really interested in leaving their corporate job to start a business, but it felt very scary. And there wasn't really a lot of information at that time anyway available specifically about the path from corporate employee to entrepreneur. So that began to get my wheels turning, thinking about that as a particular niche that I could do as a coach. I moved from the Bay Area to Arizona when I met and fell in love with my husband, who is um, native, literally. He's Navajo from Arizona. So we knew that we wanted to have kids, and I didn't want to be traveling all the time. So that's when I started my blog, which is called Escape from Cubicle Nation, uh, as a way of of getting coaching clients uh, to work with people on this corporate employee to entrepreneur path and it's been a, I call it my magical mystery tour it's been a wonderful journey of working with hundreds of different people to, to start a whole bunch of different kinds of businesses and the blog turned into a book I got a, a publishing deal with Penguin Portfolio for my first book Escape from Cubicle Nation and then very recently on December 31st is when I um, released my new book Body of Work well, let's just jump right into into that book because I am so intrigued uh, by the whole notion of storytelling as as a way of communication about yourself, about your company. Uh, I've heard a lot about storytelling, and and clearly you are are using the the term storytelling and and the thread that ties your story together uh, in a way that. Uh, is meaningful to you. So tell us how the body of work began and what does that really mean? Yeah. Um, After doing so many different kinds of things and uh, I realized when I was writing this book especially that I've I've worked in just about every work mode possible. And in my early years in college, I was an international service and development major, lived in Latin America, did a lot of work in nonprofits, Um, I worked as an employee in in companies. I was at Barclays Global Investors. I was a stay-at-home mom. I was a volunteer executive director. (laughs) So I've worked in all these interesting work modes. And when I was 
at, you know, toward the latter time of working at Escape from Cubicle Nation, you, you notice that usually after a period of time of working in one area, I begin to look back and look at maybe what some of the trends are. And what I noticed in the Escape from Cubicle Nation stage of my own body of work is that there were many people who were looking at the world of work in a very light and dark side of the force. So people were saying, working for yourself is great. It's the only way to be free. And so if you work in a corporate job, that's the old way. And it didn't feel really truthful to me because I've worked in so many different modes and I I got great value at different times in my life working in many different modes. What felt to me we didn't have was a framework for looking at the world of work based on what it really is today. Today, especially after the economic downturn in 2008, is an inherently unstable world. I believe that's just that is the way that our our world is. I wish sometimes it could go back to to being the way that it was before, where there were more stable career paths and not so much economic fluctuation or global political instability. But uh, for better or for worse, that's really the world that we live in. So when we look at that as our starting premise, what is a skill set in a way we can look at the world of work that can still make us feel like we have some control over what it is that we're creating. And and what really came to me is that the purpose of our life is to create a body of work that we're very proud of, that represents who we are as individuals, that aligns with our values, that is based on creating the kinds of things we want to bring into the world, and also is based on our own very personal definition of success. So Mm, somebody can be... I was, no, I was just going to say, say I love the quote that you picked for the first chapter by George Bernard Shaw. You know, life isn't about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. It's true. And it's, uh, it's probably the area where I find in my own life and in the life of my clients over the last couple decades, that's the place when we're in a, a process of creation where we really are in relationship with ourselves and we're really in that zone of enjoying what we're doing, the craft of what we're doing. And I like a more holistic view where when you think about a relevant body of work, you can make a choice to be a full-time stay-at-home mom, in some cases for you know all the time that your, your kids are in your house, and feel really good about it. If that is the kind of body of work that you want to create. And I know some amazing stay-at-home moms that are, mm-hmm. you know, run circles around me in terms of things that they do within their house because that's what they've defined is going to give them the most joy and purpose. And then I know other people who are completely dedicated to their careers, who are starting, you know, $10 million businesses that are going to grow into $100 million businesses. And that's really the realization of the body of work that they want to create. And then a whole right. bunch of people in between that have this mix of different kinds of experiences and and work modes. So that that's really where storytelling comes in because because I think we do have much less predictable uh, mm-hmm. path in our careers. We need right. to be able to tell stories about it in a way that's really coherent. Well, I think it's really really interesting that well the way that you have structured the book. Uh, really lays out uh, that body of work and, and where you have to start is really in defining your roots. And I know for for me, I came out of a background. Uh, my, my dad was a minister. Uh, my mother was always the organist in the church. She had a, a degree in music, and she later, later in life uh, also started teaching. And as I was growing up, I never pictured myself as anything other than a wife and mother, but more specifically the wife of a minister because 
that's what I saw, right? And and now I look at where my kids are and, you know, watching me be, you know, a workaholic who has, you know, laptop here and my iPad there and my phone sitting here and I'm watching TV and, you know, watching what's on the stove. And and so I wonder what they will want to be. And maybe it's that they'll want to be anything but, uh, you know, a workaholic entrepreneur like I am. <laughs> Usually. But, uh, you know, but they're going to a school that has kind of laid out this path. It's college prep. And, you know, I've got kids who are in seventh grade and, and a daughter who's a sophomore. And, you know, it's all about going to college. And 100% of the kids who go to their school uh, – get a you know at least get accepted i don't know how many actually go um but i worry that that lays out a path for them to be somebody else's employee and and that they you know really don't get the right training you know to do something on their own so talk to us about what you intended when you talked in chapter 2 about defining your roots yeah your roots are um the things that you feel very deeply and strongly about. So you usually know that they're roots when they evoke some kind of strong emotional reaction. So things in the world that make you angry, that bring tears to your eyes, that make you raise your fist in agreement, uh, things that bring you great inherent joy. And when you're thinking about what it is that you want to create throughout the course of your life, the roots are the things that are really going to keep you remembering why it is that you're doing what what you're doing. So I know from my own journey that I've always had very, very strong roots um, where I'm so passionate about seeing people realize their potential. So when I was teaching martial arts, I worked with a lot of gang members and former gang members in San Francisco, watching them transform from these kids who were in really difficult situations into happy teenagers who were able to express their creativity and realize their mm-hmm. gifts. You know, the same kind of uh, route you can see that is in the work that I've done with unhappy corporate employees who were able to realize their own creative potential and start a business. So mm-hmm. what it, sometimes in the way we're given direction in the old world of, of career development, of, of which it's not all bad at all. I mean, that's the world I came from as well, right? It's, we're, right. It all kind of informs us. But a lot of folks will talk about finding your singular life purpose. What's your one mission? Like you write your life's purpose and then you have your mission. I don't know if anybody on the call is like me, but I've never been able to really define one unique purpose for me being (laughs) on earth. And I've seen so many of my clients just bang their head against the wall because they're looking for some crafted from heaven, gilded in stone life purpose that doesn't actually serve the purpose of helping them through the creative process. So when they're in the middle of trying to sell their book or write their book or uh, interview for a really important job or get a promotion or quit their job to start a business, that's when they need those deeper personal roots saying, this this work matters. This is the reason why this work is really important and it's worth pursuing. So in the storms that come, I I like the metaphor of roots because you think of like a strong oak tree, the roots are what really keeps it anchored when above you're walking through the creative chaos um, where, you know, you question yourself. Oh, my God, why did I ever think about doing this? This is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I've been there. (laughs) We need reminders. We need reminders daily. 
Yeah, I you know I think it's interesting. I, I was sharing before we uh, started the recording that I, I've just had epiphany after epiphany this week, and you know different folks that I've talked to have provided pieces to that puzzle. And I just today I, I really started feeling like I I knew that I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I've got complete clarity about where I'm going. And so now I'm starting down the road of, of uh, laying out the pieces and parts to that, right, so to get to the, the vision. And in Chapter 3, you define that as naming your ingredients. And so talk to us about the ingredients of our body of work. Yeah, ingredients is really everything uh, about your your skills, your experience, your competencies, your scars, those difficult parts of your life that have taught you really deep, profound lessons. And I like to take a broad assessment whenever I'm working with somebody, either to start a business or where they're trying to craft their business plan for the year or decide their career path. It's really helpful to, to look at this broad assessment of ingredients, all these different things you have available to you that you can use in different work recipes, right? Maybe you're an amazing public speaker and you also have deep compassion that's honed from growing up in a very difficult childhood. And you know, then you're also a software developer and, and you have all these interesting ingredients where when you're looking forward for what's that next stage of what you want to do, you don't need to, to choose everything. You can choose the particular things that are of interest to you, that are going to make an interesting recipe. And sometimes we get stuck in a path. Well, I've always been a writer, and I went up this career path where I you know, started out in journalism, and then I got in corporate communications, and therefore I really need to keep on that path. That makes sense. And that's only looking at a very small subset about your overall ingredients. And when you expand it out to look at everything that you have available to you, that also becomes powerful beginnings of how you might craft a particular story. You know, if you are trying to get a new job or if you are starting a Kickstarter project because you have some new creative idea you want to move forward, when you're telling the story about yourself or why you're interested in something, that's when you're not going to open up your entire spice cupboard, right, and tell them everything that's Mm -hmm. there. You're going to pull out those relevant things in order to craft uh, the relevant story. I love that. And then then you move on to talking about uh, our work mode. And, you know, I I was uh, having a discussion with someone earlier today about the fact that I work at home and I I used to have an office. I've I've had a consulting firm for 18 years and and had a software company that I started for a while and then when it didn't go well, I sold our office building and and ended up moving home and I never ever imagined that six years later I would still be working from home. But I've made it work. It's you know, it hasn't been ideal, but what I've realized lately is that I really miss people. I really miss the interaction, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to start the Executive Girlfriends group calls up again. And so, you know, choosing your work mode and how you how you make work fit into life, I think is is what this chapter meant to me. So talk to me a little bit about that. This is an area that I think is uniquely uh, suited to our new world of work, where we really do have so many different options now that we simply did not have 10 years ago. So I... I I work from home for years. Now I have an office here in in Mesa, Arizona. But 
all of my clients virtually are are all around the world. I talk to them on the phone, through Skype, I do webinars. You know, so I also travel and I do in-person speaking and things like that. But we have so much more flexibility now in terms of work modes. We can freelance, we can contract, we can work for you know small, medium, large companies as employees, as contractors. And we can start Internet businesses and side hustles and all kinds of things. Right. So what is important is realizing, in the example, if somebody is a corporate employee and that's all they've known, they might see their job market shrinking based on their industry. If they're in financial services in certain sectors or publishing or journalism, those can be kind of scary areas to be in right now. However, if they begin to look outside of the work mode of employee in a large company and look at other ways they can use use those ingredients and those skills, that's where they can really see opportunities. And vice versa, long-time entrepreneurs might be kind of tired of the hustle. (laughs) I see this every day. And they say, you know what? I'm ready to go back and work with other people and not have to always be the one generating my own paycheck and and, uh, enjoy the support of, uh, of an organization. So yeah, that's, funny that's whenever I, I go back and consult with a corporation, I'll go to a meeting and I'll start looking around the table and I think, well, you know, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could go back. And then I get home and think, nah, <laughs> yeah. no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> because I've so, I, I left corporate life. Uh, I, I was a corporate escape artist back in 1995. And I was the first one to leave um, uh back in, in one of the big companies I worked in, very few people ever left and because they just didn't know if there was life after working for the number one company in the industry. And then when I left the industry and went into consulting, I realized there was life after corporate life, right? You, you could, um, you know, get business and you could make even more money than you made in a regular salary, but it just didn't come in steadily. And so you had to be able to live in, in the you know ups and downs of that. But you're right, we have so much choice. And I, I think the thing is that it used to be that corporate life was security, and now we know it's not because you know companies close and they sell and, and they downsize uh, without any warning and quite often without taking care of their employees. So I, I would say that that cultural difference has to be making uh, you know, a big impact on how people evaluate that now. It's really true. And I think the one point that I really want to make for a lot of my folks within the entrepreneurial world is work modes are simply work modes. Sometimes we get enamored by working for yourself as if that's the solution to everything, (laughs) right? All you want to do is work for yourself. But what is your actual business? What is it actually like to run that business? And I don't think there's anything magical, good or bad about different work modes because I'm like you. I, I don't really ever see me going back and working for somebody else. But for somebody else, that would be a perfect situation. So I want to remove some of the uh, there can be stigma or self-imposed stigma where somebody might quit their job, find it's not for them, go back and feel like they have failed. And I always right. say, don't feel that way. It's absolutely great. All work is honorable. You're just trying to find the right work mode for you. Right, right. And and there's no shame either way. I mean, clearly I've had, uh, and we've seen this within the Executive Girlfriends group, we've had uh, you know people who have been, 
you know, just long time with the same company, and then you know they'll they'll call and and tell me that they you know got their pink slip, and you know now what do I do? And uh, I I happen to have a consulting firm where I use a lot of subcontractors, and so I've provided safe haven for a few of them, you know, for a couple of months while they're trying to figure out whether they want to consult or get another job. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been interesting to watch that shift. So let's move on to talk about. Uh, creation and innovation. And that really is at the heart of whatever you have to offer anyone, whether it's a, a company, a, a client in a consulting situation, or your own business. It, it's really at the, at the heart of the book, and it, it's the skill of creating. And a lot of the, the kinds of things that I talk about in the book are really the skills that I think all of us need, regardless of our work mode, in order to really thrive. Some of the examples you gave, and I've seen that so much myself, where somebody has been a very valued, hardworking employee in, in, you know, in an organization for a long time, if they have not been continually you know, creating new, new work inside and, and outside of their organization, if they're not connected with other people, then that's where they do get that sick feeling because they haven't thought about any other opportunities if, if their job is to go away. And I certainly don't mean to make everybody paranoid, but I would like uh, kind of for my martial art day, of, of, uh, of self-defense, you always want to have that good sense of an awareness of your surroundings. And, and none of us should ever just feel completely relaxed where we think nothing's ever going to happen to me in my business or, or in my job. So right. what, really, what really both lights us up and gives us meaning and also helps to ensure ongoing employability in any work mode is mm-hmm. the skill that we have is creating. How can we start a project like you did with this club, right? Get Have right. the idea, execute it, invite people, get it up and running, create it, make it happen. How can we uh, create And books? reinvigorate we... it when, when it doesn't go well, too. Is it, is yeah, it, it does. I mean, do right. I mean, that's, and that, that leads that's right into is. Chapter 6, which is about surfing the fear, because it's not that getting all of this together and getting your story down um, you know, creates an atmosphere where there is no fear or no challenges. And the whole, you know, I know my whole personal mantra, Pamela, is that I have to live uh, with a sense of peace and clarity of vision. And if I can have those two things, I don't have to have a perfect world, but whatever world I'm in, whatever chaos I'm in, being able to be peaceful with that is what, what keeps me going. And then typically clarity of vision of where should I be follows. And so for me, that's what surfing the fear is. The fear doesn't go away, but letting it be a driving force is what I sense you're getting at. And I I apologize, I cut you off uh, when you were wrapping up the, the thought about innovation. Oh no, no, it's okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, the fear and uncertainty is just part of being alive, and certainly being a creative person. If you're doing new things and uh, creating new things, then it's normal to feel fear and uncertainty. And, and the metaphor I use is surfing the fear, really learning how to understand it and be in dialogue with it, not just pretend it's not there or berate yourself for feeling fear but rather really understand what, what is it trying to tell me? What are ways in which it might start to protect me? Because the, in, the ultimate signal of fear for us is that you know, little signal saying somebody's trying to attack us and we don't have enough to eat, which is our primal <laughs> thing that's kept us alive for right, many, right. many generations. So learning how to deal with uncertainty and fear is a huge part of the process. And it's never easy, but it does become more comfortable and expected. Right. 
Right. Well, I think it's it's also interesting to talk about fear as a protector because I, th- I think, you know, kind of that is the way that God made us. When we look down at a hot stove, we're supposed to be afraid of it. And as we feel the heat, as we our hand gets closer to it, we're supposed to pull back. And, and it's only uh, those uh, children who don't know the consequence of, of the, the action that don't listen to that fear and say, well, I wonder what would happen if I would touch it. And that would be my 13-year-old son who would do that. Um, so I think fear is there uh, as a, a protective device, but we just can't get gripped by it. Exactly. Exactly right. And and so that, again, leads us to the next thought, which is we can't go it alone. No matter whether we're in a corporation, no matter whether we're on our own or consulting or starting a new venture, trying to raise capital, whatever it is, having people around us is critical. And so Chapter 7 in the book is about collaboration. Yeah, this this is really a skill that is more necessary than ever, especially as there are a lot of new things developing and we don't always have answers to questions. And I think it's um, a really interesting skill. It definitely in my own life and experience has led to just quality of life, of realizing that mm-hmm. the kind of people you have around you is really directly equated to both the quality of the work that you can do but also your quality of life. And and so I've I've done a lot of nurturing. I'm a huge connector and community builder. It's another thread mm-hmm. I've had that's really gone through my story. Um, and I love to connect other people. And, and it, when you can learn to do that and not just stay within the same circles that you've always been connected to, then, then that's really where you're able to execute on these new creative projects. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that, and and that's certainly one of my ingredients in in my story as well is being a connector and and helping helping people to find what it is they're lacking uh, because I think a lot of people don't go through that inventory uh, when they set out to do something. And again, whether it's getting a new job, switching industries, you know, when your industry is challenged, or starting a new business, of which I've done many of those. Um, you know, you've got to figure out what's missing. But the other thing you need to do is you really do have to have a definition of what success looks like. And and it's interesting because that's uh, that's Chapter 8 in your book, and that's something that I do in my consulting practice is we always start out painting what does unconstrained success look like. Not, uh, you know, where I am today, which is I don't have any funding for my dream, but saying, what if you had all the money in, in the bank and, and you didn't have to worry about where it was coming from or you've got an unlimited debit card that just you know keeps on giving. What would success look like then? And, and you've already gone through what, what are my own ingredients that I'm putting in. You collaborate because you know there are things that, will make you stronger, other people around you, uh, whether it be education or whatever. So what did uh, this chapter mean to you of how do you establish your definition of success? Does it change based on the the cycle that your business is in? Is it different at startup and and different uh, at a stage of maturity? Yeah, I think it's a question we always want to ask ourselves. I think it's, it's more of a life question because uh, looking at what was important to me when I was in my 20s versus 30s versus 40s, you know, I'm in my late 40s now, 47, and being a parent, not being a parent, I, I noticed that things change a lot. And 
the I see it as the most direct contributor to really owning your own happiness, and that would be things like uh, being clear as to how much is enough. If, if you're gonna, if you're looking at setting your financial targets for your business, we can yeah. always say as much as possible. You know, it'd be great. I'd love to make ten million dollars this year, but what does it actually mean to run a ten million dollar business? Are you actually wanting what it's going to take in order to do that. For some people, it would be a resounding yes. And for other people, it's more that $10 million represents uh, people might respect me because, you know, in which case you're just looking for respect right. where maybe you wouldn't have to generate the $10 million in order to feel it. So uh, creating your own terms of success, I, I know that I have very clear parameters around what I will and won't do in my business because I do have little kids. And I don't want to be totally stressed. I don't want to be on the road all the time. So right. I very often, you know, give up opportunities, but I give them up willingly. To me, owning your success definition is where right. I can pass on an opportunity, but then I won't sit back and watch somebody else who took it and be upset and feel frustrated. <laughs> That's a really I, good point. I'll tell you what I did, and, and it was kind of at the same uh, time frame of where you are in, in, in your uh, being a parent, is I knew that I didn't want to be away a lot, so I kept increasing my average or my daily rate for consulting. And it was actually amazing to me that as I raised my rate, um, my business actually didn't decline. It got stronger. And so, you know, I was thinking about your speaking engagements. I thought, well, you know, if you charge 10000 today, maybe you should charge 15000 and then you get the, you know, the quality of engagement you want. But uh, it might backfire on you, so I'm not going to make that suggestion. No, it's true, but it, but it, it, it is one example of where you can start to make right. those good decisions. And, and right, it, it's, a, it's a fallacy to think that every time you're, you're making certain decisions around quality of life or quality of family life, it means that you have to suffer financially. That's not true at all, unless you right. choose to make it happen that way. It can be the opposite. Exactly. <laughs> Work less exactly. and make more. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and my business has shifted so much because I had been the breadwinner uh, for the first 17 years of our marriage. And at different times, my husband played different roles. He, he did have jobs throughout there, but it was never anything that, was, that would have allowed me not to work or even to cut my work in half. Uh, but what ended up happening, he ended up working for me for about 10 years doing all of the administration for my companies. So he did the billing and, you know, working with the attorney and, and all of the technology in the company. And, and he was also the Mr. Mom. He, he was the stay-at-home dad. And then two years ago, he had the uh, audacity to go out and get a full-time, really, really successful sales job. <laughs> and uh, so it's awesome. been amazing because he's 60 years old. Well, he just turned 63, actually. Um, but he got it two years ago. And, oh, my gosh, he's like a changed man. He's contributing. Uh, I really could stop working uh, if we didn't want to put our kids through college. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what my role is now is to to make sure that our kids can go to college and that we can retire someday. But our day-to-day -day stuff, I don't have to contribute anymore. And, it, you know, it's such a different place. And so our personal goals and our financial goals and where we are and how that all ties together has has shifted dramatically. And so I would define success really differently for me today because I want to build something that in five or ten years I can sell, which will give us the big pop to pay for you know college and, and um, 
you know, our retirement. <laughs> so, That's so neat. I love that. I love that model. And it's so smart. It's so strategic and interesting in where you both shifted, you as a family unit shifted based on the changing needs of your family, but also your individual need to create and contribute. It's so cool. You're, you're ahead of the game. <laughs> well, and the other thing edge. is, and, and people who are in a job where they, you know, go to work every day and, and every night, many of them uh, who are in, in corporate life and who have a salary, and maybe they have a bonus structure so that if, if they generate success in the company, uh, you know, they really win. Um, but for those who are entrepreneurs, uh, I spend a lot of time helping companies figure out their business model. And so for me, in order to accomplish my goals, my new business model is I always have two or three companies that I am helping essentially pro bono, but I take 2.5% equity in the company so that if they're super successful, <laughs> then uh, you know I have a big pop at the end, which isn't necessarily me selling my company, but it's them selling theirs. And that has been just so liberating, I cannot tell you, because I only take those that I really love the people and I am so sold on their concept. Uh, but it really gives them a way to grow faster, you know, with uh, tapping into all of my skills. And uh, it's just been so much fun. So I, I love this chapter. And, and so identifying specific, relevant, and meaningful financial and personal goals being a part of uh, establishing your body of work. So uh, wrapping this up, the last piece of this is selling your story. So tying it all together to create this compelling story, how do we do that? And how do we make sure that it's relevant to uh, convince potential employers, clients, and partners why we're the perfect person uh, for their mission? Yeah, I mean, I think one part of it is is uh, getting interested in the craft of storytelling. And, and like you said, I've, I found there's been increasing interest, which makes me happy because I love storytelling, about storytelling as a powerful just business modality in anything, in how it is that we communicate with each other, how we communicate online, how we market. Um, and so it's really developing the skill of storytelling, of recognizing that there are different ways that you can structure your story that's going to resonate with people. But then it's also recognizing that you want to actively be shaping the story of yourself. Another unique characteristic of this time is that the first thing we usually do, if you're anything like me, when you hear of somebody is you type their name in Google. right? So whatever, you type their name in, and then you see what comes up. And based on how it is that you've been actively contributing your story, your things you've created uh, to, you know, to the Internet, basically, then that's the kind of information that people have about you. And I'm always an advocate about you being one who's really shaping your own story, contributing to that. There's a downside. There's a scary side, right? Because people can say mm -hmm. things that are untrue. We can have parts of our, our past that we wish wouldn't resurface that do. That's just part of the reality of life. But I, what I like when we think of actively telling our story is where um, for each kind of opportunity that you have in front of you, which is where things just get very pragmatic, as you're doing your planning for this coming year, you're thinking about what you want to create, what are your big career moves, that's where you always have to define what is my story, how am I going to introduce myself to people, what do I say about myself, and then how does every piece of how I communicate, my about page on my website, my proposals, my website, my resume, how do all of those really add up to a clear, compelling story that's very authentic. It's not right. you know, weaving something that's untrue. It's really 
actually pulling out the best parts of yourself that's in a way that's going to connect with people. Right, right. Well, I am just so happy that you could join us today. And uh, we're going to go ahead and stop the recorded portion of the interview. Uh, this is a membership organization, and we like to give our members a chance uh, just one-on-one -on -one with you uh, to ask any questions. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, terminate the recorded portion, and we will hang on just for a few minutes so that folks can ask you questions. Hang on one second.